This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 28 of the Equestrian Legends Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Pessoa. Sunny Hale. Glenda Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network, and our guest this week is women's polo pioneer Sunny Hale. But first, a word from Pessoa. The name Pessoa is legendary in equestrian circles. During his phenomenally successful career as a rider, Nelson Pessoa set his sights on creating the ultimate in saddle design. Not satisfied with the perfection of balance, aesthetics, and craftsmanship, Nelson's goal was to provide riders of every level the opportunity to train and compete in a true competition-level saddle, a saddle that would be an aid to their balance and riding style while offering a comfortable fit for almost any horse. Most importantly, Nelson felt the saddle was a tool that riders should not miss out on because of price. With these goals, the modern-day Pessoa was born and has come to encompass saddles, strap goods, horse boots, and blankets. That's right, Pessoa has some of the finest bridal work available today. The quality is unmatched with their ample selection of bridles, reins, martingales, and accessories. From the quality and suppleness of the leather to the fine stitch work and craftsmanship, Pessoa Strap Goods are top of the line. To learn more about Pessoa Bridal Work and all of the other fine products at Pessoa, ask your local retailer or visit them online at PessoaUSA.com. That's PessoaUSA.com. Sunny Hale is a true pioneer in the world of women's polo, following her mother's footsteps and taking the sport to places her mother could only dream of. Sunny Hale has truly transformed polo on and off the field. She is the youngest legend we have highlighted to date. She is only in her 40s, but her accomplishments and contributions place her in the equestrian legends category. Sunny was the first woman in U.S. history to win the U.S. Open Polo Championship. She is a seven-time winner of the Polo Excellence Award, Woman Player of the Year. Sunny attained the highest rating ever given to a woman in the history of the sport of five goals after winning the U.S. Open Polo Championship with Outback Steakhouse Polo Team in 2000. She founded numerous organizations to enhance the sport of polo, and she has played polo around the world. She took what was a man's sport and helped to make it a sport for athletes of all genders. Her list of winning credits and awards is much longer than we can recite here. Equestrian legend, Sunny Hale. Well, hello, Sunny, and welcome to the Equestrian Legends show. And congratulations, by the way, on being the youngest equestrian legend so far on the show. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your show today. I want to start like we always do, uh, you know, by going back in time and talking a little bit about growing up. And where where were you born? I was born in uh, Carmel, California. And it was on a ranch? Uh, no, actually, also. <laughs> but no, I, I, I was born in uh, Carmel, and I grew up on a ranch in uh, Carmel Valley, California. Terrific. And, and that's in Northern California. And you grew up in a horsey family, didn't you? 
Yeah, I, I grew up basically um, on the back of a horse, on ponies, on horses, everything that, that resembled a horse uh, from the time I was, before I could walk. Um, that was kind of our babysitter was our mom put us on ponies, and as long as we were on the ponies, she kind of knew where we were. So, um, you know, I grew up, that's that's pretty much how I spent all of my time. Matter of fact, you you were quoted in an article some time ago by uh, uh, saying that you had your coloring books on the pony, and you were actually coloring the coloring books while you rode the pony around. <laughs> No joke. That 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 was uh that was a normal uh part of the day, yes. <laughs> now your mom, of course, is 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 a legend also in the world of polo. Tell us mm-hmm. about your family. Um, well basically our family, um, like everybody's has a has a really unique story in that uh, my mom it was her passion to play polo and to be accepted into the polo association, which until 1972, she was the first woman to be accepted as a rated one gold player in sanctioned events. So she really broke the gender barrier in our sport. Um, and with that came, you know, uh, all of us kids, there was five kids, and, uh, you know, we were all introduced to polo through her, and that truly was where I got my start, um, and, and it just took off from there. Well, let's talk about uh, it's Sue Sally Hale, right, your mom? Uh-huh, yep. And she she actually, you know, to expand upon her story a little bit, she actually paid, played polo with the guys and uh, sort of hid the fact that she was a woman for a period of time. Yeah, for, for people that are of that generation um, will realize, and for, for some younger folks that don't really realize what that was like, at, back when she was wanting to play polo, it wasn't that women didn't play polo. They did play polo, and they have for, for decades. But what was not hadn't happened at that point was that women were accepted into the United States Polo Association as rated players, able to play in sanctioned competitions, and that's what she truly wanted to do. So she campaigned for 20 years, and and uh, at at some point did um, you know, disguise herself as a man to be able to do that to play in sanctioned tournaments and. Um, so it's an amazing story in itself what she went through to be able to open that door to play because that's what she wanted to do. Uh, so in 1972, that's that's what she was able to accomplish when she got her first membership card, um, and and it truly is an amazing story. And she comes from a from a uh, very prominent um, Hollywood family that was in the movies, and um, her father was a, a screenwriter, and then her stepfather, when her father passed away, was a uh, stuntman. So she grew up in an amazing background in uh, Santa Monica, and uh, but polo was definitely what she wanted to do and gave her life for. I have a quote from her uh, from an article some time ago, and she, you know she competed during the fifties and sixties when she, yeah exactly and you know she this is her quote I pushed my long hair under a hat and wore a large shirt I never spoke a word only the guys on my team knew I was a girl so yeah I mean that yeah. gives you goosebumps when you think about it yeah no it's truly amazing if you think about it today because women are so much more accepted into into so many different things so it's hard to really grasp what that was like back then but that's what she grew up um you know wanting to do and just didn't give up until she she was able to do it so the stories of the, i i run into people all the time that knew her um back whether it's from the 50s or 60s 70s 80s 90s um and that just never changed so it's truly amazing um you know, all the different, you know, character stories that go on with, with how she came about to do what she wanted to do. Now, you have uh, four siblings that you grew up with. And, of course, your your name, your formal name is not really Sunny. <laughs> you did research. What did you find out? I found out your formal name is really Sunset. So tell us, tell us your yep. siblings' names, because there has to be a story here. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what the actual story is or what exactly was going on. I've heard all kinds of options. But, um, yeah, I have uh, – there's five kids, and uh, the oldest brother is Brooke. Um, then the next one was Stormy. Uh, next one was Dawn, who was a girl, myself, and my youngest uh, – the youngest assembly, his uh, name is Trails. So there was five of us. We definitely took some ridicule in school. <laughs> <Bad>. um, but <laughs> So I'm not sure what the real answer is, what was going on with the names, but uh, we definitely took some heat over it. I bet. I bet you did. Were you always known as Sonny? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I always go by Sonny, yeah. Yeah. Now, your mom actually was the one, obviously, that got you started, But and, and you rode ponies. Do you remember your first pony? Um, probably my favorite pony. I rode all kinds of ponies, um, but my favorite was a black pony called Pistol Pete. Why was, why was Pistol Pete your favorite? Oh, he was just—he was just the coolest pony, and and uh, my favorite color is is black horse, and and that pistol had everything. He <laughs> was black. He was fun, and and uh, spent a lot of time with him. Now, why? Now, obviously, your mom played polo, and we, we've established that, which is how you got into polo. Did you ever try anything else? Were you interested in anything other than polo uh, growing up as a kid? Pretty much, my time was consumed with riding horses and and uh, practicing polo, doing whatever I thought I needed to do to improve. Um, I did try some other horse sports, um, you know, along those lines, because uh, we used to, as kids, uh, my mom trained horses, the hard horses that were, you know, difficult to deal with. So as we were kind of like the crash dummies, and we'd jump on them, you know, be the be the ones to go ride them and find out where the hole was. So I tried all kinds of different sports, um, jumping, dressage, uh, eventing, and um, did some vaulting, minor, minor stunt stint at that. But, um, you know, uh, and I, and in school, I was usually traveling, so I never really got committed to any sports. I got talked in playing a couple, but um, I just never really got hooked on anything. Um, and truly, I just realized that polo was really all I wanted to do. Now, we're, uh, so we all know the typical horse girl growing up could care less about school and would rather just be out riding their pony. Was that the way it was for you? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed school. I actually did like it. Um, I I we traveled a lot. We moved moved around, so I was in different schools. But I actually really enjoyed school. Um, but definitely, I you know, I, I wanted to be with the horses and and uh, improving. Now, I read also that uh, what, what, your mom was a single parent, uh, and and that there was a struggle financially growing up on the Carmel Ranch. That things oh, yeah, for things sure. weren't always easy, were they? Oh no, um, they. My parents divorced when I was at a young age, and um, so yeah, she was she was a single parent, and um, we we basically when we were young, we just she put us to work. You were upright. You you need to go to work. So uh, I still run into people today that um, and, and it's actually pretty funny if you think about it that I used to give polo lessons to when I was about twelve or thirteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure what they were thinking that they went for it, but. Um, uh, to this day, it's just a, it's just a funny phenomenon. But but to the families that have grown up like that, you know, you just make do with whatever you have, and and you just you know get through it. So we did, we definitely did. We definitely uh, when when our family um, you know had to just dig in and, and go to work. That's kind of what we did. Was there any, did uh, I know that uh, at least one of your siblings ended up in the horse world? How about the others? Did they? You know what? Everybody just kind of kind of went their own directions, um, you know, as does as life kind of takes you and you, you get into all kinds of stuff. So um, I'm kind of the only one that really, you know, stuck it out with the polo. I have one sibling um, that was in polo for a while and then took a break to have some kids and then, you know, kind of making an, a re-entrance into it. But um, for the most part, they, they kind of went through to lead uh, 
what non-horse people call normal lives. <laughs> <laughs> Less expensive lives. Um. <laughs> well, just normal ones. Normal ones that don't include 25-hour days in the barn. That's right. Well, now, you started, what, at what age did you start playing polo regularly? I mean, where you really were into As it. As a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, my, my first tournament was when I was 10, um, the first one that I remember, and, and that was actually the only reason I played uh, the women's tournament that my mom and sister had organized, and uh, somebody at the last minute couldn't make it. I was the only one there um, by gender who was able to play. I was, so they sat me down with a yellow legal pad of paper, said, here's the rules you're going to play tomorrow, and, um, you know, that was the start of it. And, uh, you know, so I started playing competitively um, as a teenager is, is really when I started to play on a regular basis. Polo, I imagine, is a lot like anything else. If you start playing when you're young and you start playing when you're a teenager, it's much easier to learn than when you're an adult. Yeah, yes and no. Um, yes, it is because you're just when you're young, you're flexible and you're you're just so open-minded to everything. When you're as you age, and I've taught polo my whole life uh, and coached different people, as you age, you you tend to have made a lot more decisions. You think twice about things, whereas when you're a kid. You just grab it and go for it. Right. Um, you know, so that that's kind of the difference. But there's so many people today that are taking on the sport in their 30s and 40s because they've done everything else and they, you know, they see something new. And when they first introduce themselves to polo, they're so enamored by how much um, it truly is uh, a great sport if you like horses. It's one of the greatest equine sports you can do and one of the most fun things to do with a horse. So it, it's something that uh, it will consume you for sure, and it's definitely, you know, you are able to learn in Taipolo even starting in your 30s, 40s. In fact, I started a uh, gal who wanted to come take polo lessons. She was in her 60s. I thought it was awesome. She would come take lessons and, um, you know, just had so much fun. So really you can start it at any age, but, um, you know, to, the, to those that are fortunate that started, you know, at a young age, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it can be a little bit easier. Now, you were, uh, by the time you were 18, you had turned professional, hadn't you? Yeah, I, I turned professional somewhere around 18 to 20 um, when I first started to get paid to play in tournaments. And that was kind of something that was just not done before. Women didn't get played, uh, you know, paid to play polo. That was like, you know, that was pretty much unheard of. Um, so, that, but that, yeah, that's about the right, about the right, uh, right time frame, yeah. So then came the the United States Women's Open in 1990, where you had the opportunity to play with your mom and Stormy, your your sister you were talking about, who was into polo for a while, and also one of France's leading polo playing women. And you you got to uh, play in that tournament, and that must have been a real treat for you and your family. Yeah, that tournament um, was really a lifetime of work on my mom and sister's part um, and, and everything that they had brought to the table as far as for women's polo in America. So that tournament, which was supported by the Empire Polo Club, Alex Hagen in California, is truly amazing um, opportunity as we had so much support from some of the best high goal players um, of their day were, were there and they supported it. And we even had a coach that was... Um, you know, growing up was, was an idol in the sport and Joe Barry, he, he was our coach. And, and, um, so just to be able to be a part of that tournament and especially now seeing the evolution of where women's polo is going, um, that's truly a historical moment to be able to, you know, be a part of that. Did you get to play with your mom a lot? Um, when I was growing up, uh, I did, you know, as, as, uh, as a kid, definitely. And then, you know, it's kind of like as everybody, as you kind of grow up and, move out of the nest and, and uh, you go your separate ways. You know, I didn't later in life, but I did as a kid, yeah. 
Now, did she treat you? This is always a question you want to ask. Because she was a coach. She taught many other people, and she trained horses, and she did all of that. Do you think she was tougher on you as her child than she was on her other students? Did she expect more of you? Well, I think all all, all parent-kid um, relationships think that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anybody now that I coach uh, that, that doesn't have a parent on the sidelines or a parent you know, or a kid that's watching their parent play that isn't hard on them. <laughs> so you always, you know, you it's just always that way. And I always say to spouses and, you know, who are playing, okay, just, you, you got to, this is the way you need to look at it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think always, I think with anybody, I think it's always harder to take instruction from a parent, whereas some random person can say the exact same thing and, and you take it a whole different way. Like you found something, you know, some little uh, unbelievable piece of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was wondering, too, when I was reading your bio, because you were so close, and, and as a family, you guys were in the family business, which is really polo, and training mm-hmm. ponies and giving lessons and things. You were all part of the family business. And was there the rebellion? Did you have the rebellious time? Did Sonny rebel at some point? Uh, what do you mean? Define rebel. Like every I'm teenager sure does, where they go, oh, I don't want anything to the, do uh, with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you mean for polo? Oh, yeah, or with the family or mom or, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, but- yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a complete satellite for my family. I, I mean, we grew up working together. Um, she was a single parent. All of us did whatever we needed to do. But I kind of went out on my own when I was in my early uh, 20s and uh, never looked back. And so, um, you know, rebel, oh, yeah, all, all, because all I wanted to do was play polo. So any any other conforming, you know, structure that was anybody was trying to put on me in my life, I just I just... And not in a bad way, I just went the other way, you know, so because I just truly wanted to play polo. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I was a complete satellite to just head off in my own direction. And where did you head at that path. point in your young 20s when you headed off? What happened? I basically, uh, I basically just like everybody does when they find something that they're going to go after, you know, it, it led me all over the world, actually. Uh, I mean, it went moved around the United States and, and uh, now... Um, you know, I travel around the world as well as the United States, uh, playing polo and, and promoting the organizations I started. And now you, uh, how did, so, and this might help, uh, others who are, uh, you know, other women or other men for that matter, who are wanting to get into polo. When, when you went out, uh, to play, you were still one of the first women that were playing at the caliber and, and the level that you were playing at. And, you know, I read some quotes that you had, it wasn't, it wasn't totally easy for you either at that point, being being a woman in a man's sport. Well, basically, what I wanted to do, um, I, I, my, my chosen occupation at the time, which there really weren't any women in that occupation, so there's no resume that you submit, there's no, um, you know, job finder service. You have to basically earn any position you have based on your talent, and it's basically word of mouth. So. What I did was, want, one, is, is I had the desire to play in the best polo uh, in the United States with the best players. So getting on teams at all different levels just took, you know, practice, practice, practice. And um, I got on those teams for, for basically uh, my talents um, and being able to work with other teammates. So one job would lead to another job to another job, which finally led to coming to Palm Beach in 1993 where I got my very first professional job, which for those viewers that are not familiar, West Palm Beach, Florida, Wellington to be specific, um, is pretty much the Wall Street. If you're a stockbroker, you go to Wall Street. So if you're a polo player, you want the best polo in America, you go to Wellington, Florida in the winter. Um, and I got my first job opportunity as a professional in Wellington in 1993. 
And that one playing on that team led to another team at a higher level, which led to several more opportunities. So, um, no, at that time, there were no paid women professionals playing. I, I would have to say it was probably the first one that was actually a paid professional. Um, there's some women that own teams. They um, would play as amateurs, and maybe there's some girls that would sub in that were excellent players. So kind of that field that I was in was kind of a one-of-a-kind, um, but truly an amazing opportunity to be able to play, if you think about it. Um, I would, I would, it would be like dropping me into Michael Jordan's team, you know, in the NBA finals. And people were very okay with it, um, because they're based on my skill. Um, was it easy? No, but anybody at my handicap at, at my, uh, skill level, you know, in comparison to the skill levels on the field, you know, you're going to, you're going to take some heat, but that's, that goes without saying. Yeah, well, and that's that. You know, even even guys going into a guys team like you were talking about are going to get that when they're rookies. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Like the newest guy on Michael Jordan's team, he's going to take some heat. He's going to, you know, he's going to have to get after it to try and match up. But the opportunity to be able to play with the caliber of player—that's what I wanted. And uh, so none of that really mattered. Although you were quoted as saying that uh, that you you knew more swear words and more languages than probably any any girl your age. Now, where did you find that? <laughs> That's funny. No, I can tell you a, a large dictionary of words that I've, I've never heard before, but um, uh, that's when you just kind of go numb and, and you, you realize the lips are moving, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you, just, you just keep doing what you're doing. What did you find, uh, you know, in those early days when you were in your 20s and you were working your way up through to become one of the top uh, female players in the world? What, what were the biggest challenges you found uh, along the way? Um, for me, I think the biggest challenges is, uh, is listening to people over and over who had a different plan for what I should do, for how I should do it, and what I shouldn't go after because of some hurdles they thought or they knew about. I think the hardest challenge was to sit quietly um, listen to it without comment. And, you know, I just know, you know, I'd know in my mind and my heart, I was like, okay, whatever you just said, but I'm still going after it and I will get it. And I think that was pretty much the hardest part is just to sit quietly, not bite and uh, continue to do, do what I thought I wanted to do. I think that was truly uh, the hardest thing. And you, uh, financially, was it, was it tough uh, being out on your own those years or was there enough coming in oh, to, yeah. to eat? No, no, no. As, as with anybody that's in the equestrian world, you really have to, um, if this is something you want to do as an occupation, you have to truly have an edge. You have to have something different or know something or truly believe in what you're doing in order to figure out um, the finance side, unless you have a backer or you have a, you know, you came for money. You know, that's something that you have to constantly figure out how to produce in order to, to be there. So that, that, you know, that was always part of the picture to be able to put that whole puzzle together. So then in the year 2000, you had an opportunity to play on, on a pretty good team in a pretty good tournament. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Pretty good tournament would be defined as uh, the premier tournament in the United States, the U.S. Open. And the pretty good team was the good fortune of playing um, the Outback Steakhouse team owned by Tim Gannon, who had won the Open four or five times um, and hired the best professional player in the world, Adolfo Cambiasso. And they had started, um, they basically started to heading towards the U.S. Open. They'd been planning for the you know year previous with the team that they'd organized. They had uh, two or three warm-up tournaments they were going to play with that team before the Open. Um, so there was a lot of preparation that had gone into place. I was nowhere on the roster or even on the radar. And uh, somewhere in the, the uh, warm-up tournament, 
um, they, the owner decided that he wanted to uh, not play in the U.S. Open. He, he, he wanted to give that opportunity to his best friend, who had been also his team manager um, and best friend since college, uh, in Phil Healy. And so what that did is it changed the dynamics of uh, the, the fourth professional that could fit on that team. So um, it was pretty amazing. Tim had just decided, you know what, I've won this tournament about four times. Um, I'm, I don't feel the same chemistry as I did those other times. And instead of just go through the motions, I'm going to give the opportunity to my best friend. I'm going to sit down. And, and he went to Adolfo. He told him what he wanted to do. And they together um, they needed a, what's called in polo, a, your handicap. They needed a four handicap player and they chose me. They called me and said, you know, would you like to play in the U S open? And of course I said, gee, let me check. Nope. Do I play? <laughs> See if well, I'm yes, busy that yes, weekend. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I'm available and I'm ready today. So I, I really didn't get any prep time. It was kind of like, you know, I'm in and got the call, showed up and, um, you know, the rest was history. We went undefeated and one of the greatest experiences I think in my life. And that was in Southern Florida at that point? Was that helpful? Yeah, that was in uh, Wellington, Florida in 2000. Gotcha. And that led to the, you know, the next five years of, of, of playing. And then in 2005, you established the Women's Ch- uh, Championship Tournament to help pr- promote women's polo. Tell us how mm-hmm. that came about. That actually, that's funny. Um, because I had played in women's tournaments since I was a kid. And... Um, I, I saw something different because I I had the good fortune, even since I was a teenager, to be able to fly around the country and play in, in women's tournaments. And I'd, I'd meet like two or three really excited, amazing women players in one location and maybe four in another location. And, and uh, maybe I met some and I went to Jamaica and played and met a few over there. And I kept thinking to myself, God, there's got to be a way to network that enthusiasm, that type of professionalism, um, you know, for that group of women that wanted to really compete against each other, have a good time, but truly were sportsmen at the end of the day. And so I was, it was actually on a, I was on a plane uh, flying to Singapore and uh, my first trip going there to play. And I thought to myself nine hours into the flight for any of you that have flown that far and looking over the water going, my God, can't we do something in the United States to, to network all these people? And uh, here I am going all the way over here to this side of the world. And so with that, I, I, I came up with in my mind this, um, this idea for a format that we could network all those type of women through top tournaments played around the United States. I was traveling, you know, to, to a lot of them anyway. Um, and then I just thought, you know, if you put that group of women together, what could they do as a group? And what actually happened is I, I created that format in 2005, um, got it accepted by the Poll Association as, you know, hey, roll with it, it's great. Um, started the WCT as a corporation um, to see where it went. And um, basically what's happened since that point is we have two qualifiers all around the United States and internationally. This year we add, um, we'll be adding two qualifiers in Argentina. We have one in Singapore, actually, that I'm going to next week. We'll be adding one in Malaysia. And we have um, one that was in Italy as well as from, you know, the West Coast, California, all the way to Florida. So what's really fun for me now is is to truly see that fun network of you're going to play hard, you're going to go after it, and you can play these tournaments around the country um, and meet those kind of women. For me, that's that's been an amazing thing because it really did just that idea just started in 2005. And how many team, how many women's teams are there now? There's quite a few in there. 
Well, that's the thing. There's tournaments all around the United States and around the world. Women happen to represent one of the largest growing sectors getting into the sport uh, currently, uh, and that's kind of a worldwide um, pattern. Uh, so how many women's teams in total? Couldn't even tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but but tournament-wise, you know, it's definitely on the, on the rise. And as far as women getting into the sport, that have, maybe they've rode horses, they tried other horse sports, or they like what they're doing, but they want to try something different. You can now go to one of these WCTs at these clubs and kind of kind of just check it out. You know, see other women play. That's something you want to try. And uh, as women are a lot more cautious than men, they want to go see. If, you know, let me just go see if I'm not going to make a fool of myself. But these these are really uh, these tournaments and clubs are really open to new players. And so that's the fun part is it's a way for you know mainstream um, people that have never been exposed to polo to kind of get their first look at it, go to one of these tournaments, have a good time. We encourage everybody to go hang out. And it's almost always more important that you have a very good swag bag when you show up and that you put on a good party at the tournament. Because <laughs> 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 We don't care if you're really good. We're still going to make fun of you. I, I, so, I guess, I'm a driver yeah. and it's the same way. The party is, oh, yeah. is important. So <laughs> but, but that's the whole point, you know, and that's, I think, been the fun part for me is just promoting that camaraderie of it, no matter what your character is. But what we don't promote is uh, a bad attitude if you got a bad attitude we're probably not going to invite you next time you need to get over it well this is a good point uh to to actually discuss i did want to get into this conversation at some point you know i think one of the the uh misconceptions polo has is that it's only a rich man sport or rich person sport in this case that you you have to be wealthy to play it and i think that's changing a bit with with the with the smaller teams and with the more local teams available isn't that changing well, I think what what's changing is um, is, is that polo is accessible truly to anybody. Um, what is the misconception is is that mostly in the media that's ever been promoted about polo, and this is where the assumption comes that it's only for the wealthy, very wealthy, is um, it, usually media picks up on polo when a famous person or somebody in royalty or an actor um, something happened or they played or they broke a leg or they whatever. And so the only thing that's really ever gets shown mainstream is that level of the sport. So when you say that, well, what does that mean? What's the trickle-down effect? It would be like saying, I race cars, and the only thing you ever saw was NASCAR level. You're like, oh, my God, that guy's got a million-dollar race team. Right. <laughs> no, I actually raced at a dirt track with a little go-kart, right. um, you know, over in Ohio, and I'm, I'm, I race, you know. And so that's what – no one's ever really shown the underneath of, of truly what exists in America because probably, you know, 65% of the polo that's played around the United States um, is by just what you call your weekend warriors, that maybe they got a quarter horse and they it, it ropes during the week and they go to the polo on the weekend or they, they rented one from, you know, a polo club and they go grab the two-horse trailer and they go play on the weekend and they don't see polo again until the next weekend. So, um, you know, that's kind of the side that's never really uh, been really just, you know, put a flashlight on. And, uh, you know, I think also we've all heard, especially those of us in the horse world and, and outside for that matter, that you need six horses and, you know, you, you've got to have the full string and the whole thing. And, 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 you know, you're right for, you don't really need that uh, on a whole to, to, to play at at the lower levels. Yeah, no, not at all. And see, that's the thing is that, um, if you take WCT, for instance, um, this is a fun part for, for women that, that maybe they have a business that they do or they run or they work in corporations, is that they can actually literally, without owning a horse, they can call one of these clubs and say, hey, I want to play in one of these tournaments. Um, how do I do it? There's usually lease horses available where you can show up, rent your horse, um, or, hey, I want to uh, you know, come play at your club. 
you can go do it and not even own the horse. So it's, it's you know, it's kind of a um, easy in-out situation. But um, the, the issue with polo is that the conception is that just like NASCAR, if all you ever saw was NASCAR, you think if you race, you have to have a million-dollar team, Tony Stewart's going to drive for you, and that's what it is. But but they never show what the backyard little kid in his in his go kart. You know that's part of racing too, um, or the weekend guys. You know racing around the around the country. Um, so that's kind of the thing for polo that uh, is very open. You can call most polo clubs and say I want to come try a lesson, and all you have to really do is show up with with boots with some kind of heel, and they'll provide the rest. You know. So in your average polo lesson, it depends on where you are. Uh, sometimes they give them to you for free. I warn you now, it's addicting. <laughs> That's a trick. It's a really good one, but you might get a couple free polo lessons. But, you know, your polo lessons average anywhere from 50 to 250 a lesson, depending on who it is and the location. Um, so, you know, it's, it's comparable to other sports. If you're if you're in the market to try something new, it, it is comparable. You don't necessarily have to buy, you know, the whole uh, menu of options. You can You can take it at whatever your budget level is. That's the addicting part. Now you uh, you got some experience starting a corporation in 2005, and then uh, you mm-hmm. apparently hadn't had enough of that. So in 2006, <laughs> you decided no, to horse, no 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 as horse people do they get an idea and we just get on and go and we don't think about the work side. That's how that happens. Well, I know that feeling. Um, yes, I started out with one show and now we have eight. You know, so eight. There you are. That's the story of my life. So you started yeah. in 2006, the American Polo Horse Association. Tell us about yeah. that and why you did it and what it is. That was another one, um, just like the Women's Championship Tournament. I saw something that I was like, my gosh, what would happen if we put all those women together and how much fun it would be? And so that was WCT in 2006. I had been talking about it in my mind and to different people for a couple of years, actually. It's like, you know, what, you know, what do you think if we had like a – wouldn't it be cool if we had like somewhere you could research information about polo ponies in America? Because as ridiculous as it sounds, we have we are the information age uh, in America, and and there was nothing you couldn't you couldn't. It would be like going to the racetrack, and basically instead of getting a handicapper's book on the horses, you basically just sat there and looked at the horse and horses and went, "I like the one in the pink pad. No, I think the one in the red pad is going to win." And for whatever your reason was, do, do, there was so no there was no pedigree. There was nothing. no. Nothing. Oh. And so the interesting thing about polo is, and I grew up riding horses, uh, all different breeds of horses, is polo you can play on any breed of horse. There is no um, qualification saying you have to ride this breed or it has to be this, you know, uh, look like this or it has to have this many points, whereas in every other equestrian sport, it's driven by some type of records, whether it's show records, whether it's pedigree, whether it's uh, the club you're in. And polo, basically, polo, your horse is your legs. So if you like clown shoes, bring those. And if you like real running shoes, bring those. So it's truly your choice. There's people that play Arabians, Appaloosas. Um, one of the largest breeds that's very unknown um, that plays our sport. It's not unknown, but it's unidentified as such as the American Quarter Horse. They're, they're saturated in polo. Uh, and, and, in fact, the American Polo Horse we um, are, are going to be promoting that, but you can ride any breed. So my point was, well, the only breed registry that existed was in Argentina, and that's a very specific um, breed that they're actually breeding for, meaning just like if you're breeding quarter horses or thoroughbreds, it's very close. We're breeding for a certain type of horse. 
So my idea was, I was like, well, gosh, we ride everything in America. What if you just had like this database pool of anybody that had a horse in America? You can register it with us. I figured, of course, the work side was I had to figure out how you can identify these horses, make it verifiable. And that's basically what the American Polo Horse idea concept was, is one, is to recognize these horses, and two, is to, to create a place where you could identify them um, so that we have a verifiable start point for breeding going forward of any breed. We don't qualify it. it basically, you're going to get exposure based on what that horse does. And so that's kind of um, was my idea. Fast forward to 2006, um, it's definitely the concept is is dead on. It's something that uh, is a valuable resource in that somebody can, if you have one polo horse or you have 100, you can register them with us. That horse gets a five-picture online profile for people all around the world to go look at. Let's say, Glenn, if you play polo and you, people are like, wow, I want to see what kind of horse Glenn rides. Um, they can go on the internet and it's free. You can go on our website, AmericanPoloHorse.com, and uh, search for your horses. And I could see a five-picture profile of the horse you ride. So that's really, um, you know, kind of fun for players to compare and also to recognize the horses. So yeah, that was my other little idea. So, <laughs> it kind of got out of control. And has it taken off? Have people adopted it in the well, community? Well, you know what, you know what's amazing is what I've come to realize is it's such a valuable resource because we get we get truly. Um, these people that come to the website, they spend a lot of time looking because there's nowhere that anybody groups that type of information together. Um, the second thing that's been truly amazing is is to, to, now that we have enough data, is to realize how many of these horses people are playing that are truly from the same bloodlines and families, and the owners have no idea because mm-hmm. they never did pedigree research before. They never bothered to keep the papers on the horses. They just tossed them. It's, Polo ponies are usually bought on their type when you look at them, what the people like to look at. And what, what's funny is, me, I see the data, and I'm very interested in it, so I look at their pedigrees all the time, is to realize how many of these top horses are related, and, and most of the owners have zero clue until now. They're, you know, really starting to pay attention. So, And the other thing I think that's really taken off is giving credit to the American polo pony um, that gets exported around the world. And, and it has never been really promoted that way before. That's truly been an amazing, um, you know, realization to see that happen. Well, I do want to put a plug in here, too, for the AmericanPoloHorse.com. You do have some terrific information on there, just not about, you know, keeping track of ponies and the records, but also tips on buying polo ponies and some very useful mm-hmm. information for people who, who are just starting out as well. So, Yeah, um, just trying to figure out and get a feel for what it is before, um, you know, pulling the trigger on something. Yep, no, it's it's <laughs> terrific resource, and I, you know, yeah. and, and I know how things like that work. You, you say, oh, oh we'll, we'll get yeah. this number, and then it snowballs, and then it's a ton more work than you originally thought. Oh, no, that- of control it's like it's like we, we started a facebook page so i'm like oh you know that would be pretty cool for that well let me tell you something there's like over 3400 people on there and the funny part is is uh, they just find us organically i don't i don't know enough or or into all the buys and different stuff you can do to promote it it's just like i wanted the page uh, so let's just see what people are interested in and the information that's on there is basically all about the polo ponies and the behind the scenes what goes on as far as in the grooms taking care of the horses promoting those people and that's what's so much fun is to see that network just branching out. And and what's truly amazing is to see these pe- these horses, how many people that really um, get excited about these horses all around the world. To me, that's when you realize it's worth it. Well, let's get back to you a little bit here before we mm-hmm. wrap up today. We, we, yep. have, we have a series of questions that we ask at the end of every interview. Yep. 
And uh, but before I get to that, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Uh, well, first, I want to give a plug out to the uh, Cowgirl Hall of Fame because that's uh, who recommended you in the first place. And and it must have been interesting for you to be to be inducted or nominated to be inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. That must have taken a double take. Oh no, that's a completely humbling honor um, to be recognized by 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 them. Um, I mean, they, they do such an amazing job in recognizes women, recognizing women that have truly done something in history, you know, uh, that not only benefits themselves, but so many other people. So, so the fact that, that I got selected, I think, is just, to me, it was truly one of the greatest honors I think I've had. And, um, you know, I just can't, can't appreciate it enough. Where did you played polo around the world? You've played in mm-hmm. so many different countries. Is there a place that stands out? One of those moments in time, where where you said where you said at the time or after that this is something I'll never forget. This was truly special. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I know there's about a hundred um, of them, right? You know, I've had great experiences, and and uh, some of them, you know, you just don't expect because you just it's an unknown when you go. Um, but truly, in, I've had so many experiences, and, and it comes down to great experiences with different people. Um, one of the most recent ones I can remember is um, I was in Malaysia, which I'd never, I was it just not, I had never thought I'd go there. And it wasn't that I didn't want to go, I just, you know, I had never thought about it. And uh, I went and played for some of the most fun people. Um, and we had such a great trip. And I remember sitting out on the polo field as the sun went down, and, and they've gotten a, probably a polo club that's over 100 years old with a, Kind of an open open atmosphere, um, you know, um, antique wood kind of feel. Open, you can see the polo field. There's an open bar, restaurant, and it, it closed that night. The event we were done playing, and um, the sun was setting. And so I'd gone out onto the polo field, and I was looking, watching the sun setting. And in the back, you could see the Petronas Towers. For anybody that's um, familiar with what those are, it's kind of in the background. And I sat there thinking to myself, what an amazing experience that I get to be here doing what I've loved to do my whole life and uh, experience it and um, just the camaraderie of those people. You know, that that was kind of a moment to me. I've had several of them, but um, to truly realize you're you're doing something you love to do, that was that was amazing. Now we'll we'll switch it up a little bit. You know, the endurance riders, all we've had a number of endurance riders we've interviewed, and of course because they ride so long and they ride all day, and they ride in in, Ouch. in, in really I, give them credit. I know in really <laughs> weird places and and strange things happen like lightning hitting right by them and oh things like that. What's what's the is there a, a time or a place that you can think of that was just wild and it, it was one of those stories that you tell your kids? Oh my gosh! No, I've had I've had lots of those. Um, you know, and that's truly what makes it at the end of the day the adventure that it is. Um, but my gosh, to even try and pull one of those out, I've had so many of them. And it, truly, anybody that has a horse um, or is in a group that has a bunch of horses, you got some wild stories of stuff that happens to you, being broken down on the side of the road to you know, stranded in at polo clubs because of the rain. And, um, man, that's a, that's a hard question because there's been so many. <laughs> but, and you're uh, right. Yeah, as, as horse good, people, we've all had them. Darn, yeah, some darn good ones. <laughs> all right. Now the questions we always ask at the end of every mm-hmm. interview. Um, and this does not involve horses, actually. Well, it sort mm-hmm. of does. Yep. What's your favorite food? Oh my gosh. Um, anything that somebody is nice enough to prepare for me that's not <laughs> spicy or moving. <laughs> so does that make you the typical horse girl who doesn't cook? <laughs> oh, I do. I have the cooking uh, scars to show. Um, yes, I do when I need to. 
<laughs> no favorite food? Uh, no, I just, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, non, non, I, I, I like most foods. No, I don't, I don't have any particular, okay. gotta have it. What's your favorite music? Uh, I like a blend of everything. I'm all over the map. I like country music. I like some rap. I like, um, I'm, I'm all over the map on music. <laughs> all right. Every horse girl has an opinion on this. What is your favorite truck? Dodge, Ford, or Chevy? for Chevy, um, the one that gets me there and looks good. <laughs> <laughs> I've had them all, so you know what? It depends on the year. It depends on, um, yeah, and I've had them all. Oh, you as have? Long okay. as, as long as, yeah, no, I've actually had them all. And um, usually, we it, get a very it, strong opinion on 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 that topic. No, you know, I'm funny that way. I I truly, it depends on the year or what I've got and what I'm into. Um, you know, and and if it's doing the job, so. Um, I'm actually not that opinionated one way or the other, as long as, you know, as long as it's, it's really good and it's taken care of. All right. Do you have any other hobbies other than horses that, that people might not know about? Um, I actually do that, that is kind of one is I truly like, um, photography. I like to go out, you know, and, uh, photograph wildlife when I have time, which is very limited. Um, and then I've gotten into, uh, for the first time in my life, working with a personal trainer, who's a uh, fitness model and MMA competitor. So I've, I have a new new focus. I've never done that before, um, which is, but it's truly, I'm not sure what you call it, a hobby or a, uh, a true passion now that, I've, that I'm working at. I imagine that, you know, playing, playing polo especially, your core has to be, you know, it has to be there. You're not going to, you're not going to play polo successfully unless you have strength. And, you know, do, do all polo players work out or, Obviously, they probably should. Uh, or is that something that's becoming more prevalent now? No, it's it's actually becoming a trend. Probably in the last five five to ten years, it's starting to become a trend. But for instance, throughout my career, I never worked for the trainer ever. I, I never did. I never worked out in the gym. Um, what I did was go to the barn and ride horses and train horses and and practice. That's how I stayed in shape for what I did. And now, given that you know my schedule is completely different, I I spend a lot of my time working on the two organizations I started and traveling around the world playing. So I don't spend the time in the barn that I used to. And so I had decided I was going to, like everybody does, that's it. I'm going to start working out. And, of course, being the independent person that I am, I was like, I'm not going to sign up with a trainer. I'm just going to go watch what everybody does at a big gym, <laughs> and I'll figure it out. And so in that, I, I, I ran into somebody. I saw them training for their sport, what they do, and was completely taken by it. Kind of went up to them, was like, I don't even know what you do. You're some kind of badass. Explain to me um, what you, and I really did. It was kind of funny. <laughs> but I've never been so inspired by what I saw this person capably able to do. Um, and anyway, so I asked him, uh, I said, here's my sport. I said, it's, it's not normal what I do. I'm a professional. I've never worked with a trainer. I want you to look at my sport and then train me. And so thank God he said yes. And um, he happens to be, you know, just a top-notch trainer and um, and fitness model in his own right and um, uh, champion in his MMA. So that it has helped me to understand that, that exactly what you just said. Um, and it's funny now realizing it um, outside of doing it in the barn, riding horses in the physical job that, that most of us women do every day, lifting hay bales and grain sacks and stuff that you just don't even think about. Um, you know, that now in all the different workouts that we do and they change constantly, um, and this guy could take you outside and not have one piece of equipment and, and work you out harder than, than, than he could ever imagine. So 
what you just said is truly amazing is, is you're right. It's exactly your core. If you want to be the best at it, um, your core strength is truly what's got to be good. And it's helped everything about uh, the way that I ride and my lower back for, for all the women that ride that are, are just sure it's what you're eating, that it's your lower back and you can't, you know, you're not strong enough or you're hurting. Um, you know, that has made all the difference in the world is, is training um, with somebody that knows what they're doing uh, and lives by that, um, you know, it's truly made a big difference. Name two things that are still on your bucket list. Oh my gosh, well, it's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's hard to that's hard to nail down. I've got too many. That's uh, they're all. I yeah, I still have a lot of, uh, and I have a lot of unknowns. That would be that's on my bucket list. A lot of unknowns. Well, you're due. I mean, it's been uh, so. Let's see, 2006. It's been six years since you've started an, a, a corporation or association. I know. So. I'm feeling kind of lazy. <laughs> I don't know. I think one of them, one of the wildest uh, ones, which I guess I'll just throw it out there, is um, I would like to write a book. I'm, I'm not an author by any means. <laughs> I only went to public school, um, but but it's something that um, something that I've been thinking about, and um, I'm not sure why I should write a book, but I'm, that's something that I'm thinking about because I've truly what I've what I've done so far, and no telling what's around the corner is just completely entertaining, and and um, you know some of the stories, in fact, even just the teams getting on some of the teams that have got on how it actually happened, you know, it looks really smart when you're done, but <laughs> it didn't happen that way, you know, to get there. So, uh, you know, I guess that's one thing. Well, that's terrific. Well, we appreciate you being here and, and talking about this. Well, I appreciate the interview. The final question, what's one thing that almost nobody in the polo world knows about you? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's <laughs> why that's I always save that one for last. Well, polo is a very small world. Everybody pretty much knows everything, just like every horse sport. You think you're so smart, <laughs> but most people know just about everything. Um yeah, gosh, that's a good one. Um, no, there's not too much hidden. They, everybody, <laughs> that's, they pretty much know yeah. it all. <laughs> well, they don't know at this point that I'm on this this uh, show. <laughs> they will. Come out. They will very yeah, shortly. Was, yeah, there's a big secret. I'm about to be on this show. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on everything you've done in the Thank past. You so and I'm much. sure I with really appreciate it. we could do this again in another ten years, and you'd have all the same questions over again because <laughs> uh, you know there's going to be so much more to add to that list. And I do hope that uh, that you accomplish yeah. most of the things on that bucket list. No, I truly appreciate it, and I, I, I it's a pleasure to meet you. 